Hello and welcome to this Cloud of Data podcast with your host, Paul Miller. Today I talk with Scott Now, President of Teradata Labs at Teradata. Teradata has been in the data and analytics space for almost 30 years, uh, traditionally building enterprise software and delivering that to a wide range of customers. Teradata, like other companies in this space, has to some extent, extent been disrupted by a range of startups, the growth of open source software, the rise of commodity hardware, and we explore a number of these issues in my conversation with Scott. Scott argues, and quite convincingly I think, that commodity hardware and open source software on their own are not perhaps the major disruptions that we sometimes think. We discuss the ways in which some of these broader trends are shaping the industry and look at where this might lead next. I hope you find this podcast useful and we'll come back to the cloud of data for further podcasts in the future. Thank you. Scott, thank you very much for joining me for this podcast today. Before we talk about Teradata and the changing world of data analytics, can you tell listeners a bit about yourself and your own background, please? Sure, and thanks a lot for, for having us uh, for this discussion today. Uh, I'm Scott now, and I've been with Teradata now for almost 19 years, and I've been in the analytics business and data warehousing for even longer than that. Um, my role within Teradata is I'm responsible for Teradata Labs, and Teradata Labs is the research, development, engineering, and product management organization. So basically, we set the technology strategy for the company, we build the technology that Teradata brings to market. So in that role, uh, it's pretty diverse. We've got to have the headlights on and be looking at the market landscape and um, how we should be aligning our investments to, um, to build out the most robust product stack for Teradata, but we've also got to go and execute and deliver on current product and, and make sure that our customers are very happy. So it certainly keeps us very busy. And uh, it's never a dull moment here at Teradata Labs, especially when I think about what we get up in the morning and, and set out to do today and how that differs from even just a year ago or two years ago. It's, all, it's the completely different uh, different landscape, uh, different technologies, and it's extremely exciting to be a part of. Good. Thank you, Scott. And we'll, we'll dig into some of that changing landscape in a moment. Just before we do, let's take a, a quick step back. And for anyone in the audience who isn't aware in detail of what Teradata does, can you just sort of fill them in on that? Sure. So Teradata is, uh, is uh, I believe, the world's premier analytics and data warehousing and integrated market management company. We basically started out with um, some very unique technology that's at the core uh, of everything that we do today, and that is uh, the ability to take very large problems and through using parallel technology, break those large problems down into smaller problems so that we can provide really great performance and apply that performance to analytics and delivering analytics in real time for our customers. And uh, we also have uh, found that most of our customers who take advantage of the traditional analytics solutions typically use their data warehouses and their Teradata products for better understanding of their customer interactions and customer preferences so that they can have better relationships with their customers. So uh, as an extension then of our core um, analytics strategy, 
We also entered into the integrated market management uh, market about uh, what, two and a half, three years ago with uh, some M&A that we did as well as some, some internally developed product. And integrated market management, the easiest way to think about that is it's ERP for marketing. So in today's uh, world with mobile and digital uh, touch points, it's really a different landscape for marketers who are trying to influence and communicate and interact with uh, consumers. And being able to manage that process and understand what's happening and attribute the value of different media outlets um, is a really important thing. And so our unique integrated market management suite allows our customers to do that. And so the combination of the best analytics, being able to truly understand and predict what's going to happen in the business, uh, understand and predict customer behaviors and preferences, and then tie that together with integrated market management solutions where we can manage the marketing process as well as even deliver collateral is really uh, the winning combination that Teradata brings to market. So that's interesting that you're sort of expanding beyond core analytics offerings. Is that because the core analytics space is becoming more competitive? You know, is, is it a way of moving a little bit out, out of that space or is it simply responding to customer, customer demand? Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a way for us to set up the company for even larger growth. I don't think it was um, necessarily driven by uh, intense competition, although the competition in our core business is intense, and it has been intense since the inception of, uh, of Teradata. If you think about some of the companies that we've competed with and won against for many, many years, um, there's nothing really new there. Uh, competition is what it is. It, keeps us honest, it keeps us paranoid in developing really great technology, and it's beneficial for our customers. I think the way to think about the addition of IMM to our portfolio is that we were able to use our strong cash flow and balance sheet to get into an additional business that has a lot of synergy for Teradata customers and for Teradata as a company, but at the same time, it wasn't distracting from our core analytics business. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, Teradata clearly has been in the analytics space for a long time, what, about about 30 years, isn't it? Um, whereas now we're seeing this explosion in interest in, in big data and data analytics, largely driven by open source, free software and commodity hardware. Um, so when you're coming at it from the perspective of big iron and richer software of the sort that perhaps you know Teradata has traditionally offered how do you compete with free and commodity well that, that that's actually a really good uh, question you know I think the first thing is that uh, at least from my perspective the the whole big data phenomenon is actually not being driven by open source and commodity hardware it's actually being driven by new technologies and new digital footprints that uh, have been created from recent technology evolution. So you know, when you think about the sensor data in a jet engine and the data that, that, that gets created from those sensors, when you think about the internet of things, which is something that is becoming more and more prominent in, in the minds of people, thinking even about smart grids or uh, the mobile devices that we all carry and now depend on for uh, you know, just uh, everyday living, right? All of the new data that's being created is really the driver behind it. And I think 
uh, I think then, you know, into that mix, there are a lot of technology choices that are interesting, but I don't think open source and commodity are what's driving the market. I think the market's being driven by these new digital footprints. That said, there are also, in this expanding world, uh, a lot of new tools uh, and a lot of new ways to go uh, and do business. And I don't actually see it as competition. I see it really more that it's a broader technology landscape from the perspective of the Teradatas and, and other vendors like ourselves in how we can help our customers manage and get control of all of this new data that's lying around their businesses and turn all of that data into something of value. You know, one of the things that you said, you know, kind of first off is it's open source and commodity, and, and, and there, there really are uh, two, two points that I'd like to make about that. Number one, uh, commodity hardware and innovation in hardware is, is part of a technology curve that we at Teradata have been uh, leveraging and riding for, frankly, since the beginning of our business. And so that rising tide has helped our technology, it's helped our customers, it's allowed us to create more dense, more performance solutions that use less power, uh, that are cheaper to maintain, uh, that are more, more robust and higher quality and all of those things. So that's actually a really good thing and it's aligned with our strategy. And then as you mentioned, you know, open source software, open source software is certainly a, an interesting phenomenon. Uh, you know, there's a lot of innovation being generated. There are communities of interest as uh, communities of talent start to tackle these truly big data, sensor data, Internet of Things kinds of problems. And that's all really great. But keep in mind, uh, open source software is free like, you know, somebody giving you a puppy is free. And I actually uh, wrote a blog about that that was uh, got a lot of popular comment and feedback, right? So just because the product cost is zero or free, you have to look at the total cost versus the value that you receive, right? And all software companies have to compete against that. And if we can't create value that's worth paying for, right, then we aren't going to have a business. And that's a challenge that we have. That's a challenge that we have had, you know, with or without open source, with or without the, the, new, the new technology out there. And I'm actually really thrilled with some of the strategies that we've been able to deploy where we actually are able to embrace some of the new programming paradigms that come with the open source Hadoop stack as part of our unified data architecture, but at the same time, integrate and allow our customers to leverage those technologies where they're appropriate, leverage other technologies where the most appropriate to create the best value to allow them to get you know, decisions, to get analytics to the front line of their business so that they can have better conversations with their customers and guarantee that those conversations are relevant. Okay, good. And I mean, something that I guess sort of is tangentially related to that is some of the the stuff that Mark Andreessen has been saying over the past 18 months or so about, you know, software eating the world. Um, now, clearly, that software still has to run on some hardware somewhere. Um, but to what extent can smarter software replace the need for dedicated and specialized hardware in something like the data analytics space? Or will there always be a need for specialized machines as well? Um, well, I think that um, software is where it's all at. Um, and the reason that I say that is because that's actually the strategy that we've had here at Teradata uh, 
for a long time. In fact, you know, when we started, there wasn't such a thing as commodity hardware. And, you know, we actually took uh, microprocessors, which at the time were 8088 chips, and imagine that, 8-bit uh, uh, chips, really cool. And we were able to use software to, you know, leverage hundreds of them together to create the processing power of equivalent of, you know, the then most powerful mainframes that were available, right? And that was kind of, you know, where we got started. Now, back then, you know, you couldn't just go to your local fries and buy a motherboard with chips and memory and all that kind of stuff on. You had to build them, right? And it was some specialization. But that all changed pretty dramatically. And, and in the mid-'90s, we actually switched all of our investment away from any hardware and entirely into software that enabled us to go buy off-the-shelf hardware. And so the solutions that we ship today are, are completely comprised from the same high-volume high hardware that you see used in other commodity clusters. But the differentiation where we focus, because our customers depend on delivering those analytics, they depend on running their business from the analytics that are created from Teradata. That means it can't go down. That means service levels have to be maintained. That means that um, uh, we have to be able to service and ensure that those massively parallel systems are up and running all the time. And so we're able to bundle solutions together from those components and have our software and proactive hardware management solutions make it look you know, very bulletproof. Right to to the customer and to the analytic applications that are running uh, on uh, our solution. So in fact, software does make the difference. Hardware is extremely important, but the value behind that strategy, you know, at least for us, is that we can be first to market with the newest chips that come out and and deliver that performance on the first day they're available to be shipped in volume. Right, because we're bundling those uh, components together, and our software figures out how to exploit the power in that hardware. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a true advantage. And what's interesting is a lot of the new startup companies are, are trying to execute a, a similar process. And, and I think that you know, part of the value in proprietary software or software that has a license fee or a cost to it is being able to really provide that supportability, that bulletproof um, uh, that bulletproof nature, as well as extreme performance. And extreme differentiated performance is hugely important, I believe, in this big data world, because even though um, commodity hardware and open source software are out there, and that's all really great, and there is a place where those things are very useful, I do believe that the volume of data will always exceed any company's ability to invest to store it. They will always have more data and they can afford to store and analyze. So having best-of-breed solutions that can provide better density, that can provide better performance, is always going to have value in that context. And should we be keeping as much data as we are? Now, there's, there's one, one argument essentially says, keep everything because you don't know what you might want to know later. Whereas another argument says, actually, you don't need to keep all that stuff. You can sample, you can ask sensible questions, and just store a subset where do your customers lie on that sort of continuum? Um, you know, it depends. And, and it depends is one of my favorite answers as an engineer, by the way. Um, it depends on what you're using the data for, right? So if you're trying to get um, customer sentiment, 
you know, and if you only get 80% of the data or 50% of the data or whatever, that's probably okay because you're running um, algorithms that, that try to line up and just judge the overall sentiment of the group. So that's okay. But if you're managing uh, ATM transactions, it's probably not okay that you only get 80% of those transactions, right? And so there's a continuum of requirements where in some instances, in some use cases, it's absolutely important that everything be kept and that there be uh, traceability you know, back to the source and, and that you can guarantee you're not losing any data. And there are some other instances and in algorithms where sampling is okay. And so we are seeing you know, a move towards this quality of service kind of notion with our customers where traditionally, our quality of service has been 100% guaranteed, right? It, you know, closing the books, keeping the transactions, not losing any of the transactions, not ever losing any data, is a typical paradigm of more traditional analytics. But some of the newer emerging analytics, it's okay if that uh, quality of service is less than one or 100%, you know, maybe 99 or even 80%. And, and it really just depends. I do think, however, that there is value in trying to keep as much detailed uh, data as possible because to the point that you made earlier, what we saw, what we have seen across you know, the, the, the history of analytics deployment that we've done with our customers, I think the biggest value that we've brought our customers is, is indeed not just you know, our technology and the fact that it works and it's great and it's highly performant and highly scalable, but in fact that our technology enabled them to keep all of their data for longer periods of time and to find things in the data that they didn't know about their business. And that's truly a value proposition that, you know, it's kind of hard to go sell. You know, it's not like selling an application where you say, hey, if you install this application, you get X, Y, and Z. It's kind of unknown. So where data warehousing and our kind of our traditional analytics has been is that we've had a a dual value proposition. We've had the initial value proposition of being able to deliver specific analytics that were being requested by lines of business. But because of the way we were able to implement those analytics, we were able to keep all of the detailed data in its native form without applying specific schemas or, and without applying business rules to the data. We then kind of had a second wave of value that our customers experienced when they actually were able to find things in the data that they didn't previously know. And they were able to turn that then into actions in their business to become more competitive. And so I think in this new and emerging world of big data where you, you may not necessarily need to keep 100% or you may not need to keep all of it, it is important to keep a very large sample. And it's most important to keep the data in the native raw format that the data were created in originally. And so that's actually where we see kind of the extension of our advocated um, uh, architecture including HDFS and Hadoop as part of the ecosystem because one of the great things that Hadoop can do is it can actually store any kind of data in native format without requiring a schema up front. And that's extremely important. Now what you do with it afterwards, right, there's a whole different uh, continuum of technologies and integrations and all that kind of stuff. But the core value proposition in my mind reminds me of the early days of data warehousing when I was a Teradata customer, and that is I could just keep all of the data and I could keep all the data in a native detailed format so that I could go exploring. And, and that's really what's huge about some of the open source uh, Hadoop and the technology stack that comes with that is it's, it's an enabler, has nothing to do with the fact that it's open source or inexpensive or any of that. 
what it does have to do with is an enabler for keeping this new kinds of big data in the native format. And when you think about it, you know, sensor data coming from a jet engine isn't rows and columns that you put into a spreadsheet. It's not transactions, right? You have to look at it differently. And so you don't want to have to convert it into rows and columns because you may lose some of the intelligence that was originally in that data. And so that's where this, this new and emerging set of technologies is keeping our lives very interesting and creating uh, a whole lot of options downstream for our customers who implement it. And presumably your customers know where they are within this space. So they know, for example, that if they are a bank, they do need to keep every ATM transaction. They know that if they're a marketing company sampling a campaign, so. they know that keeping 70 or 80% is enough. Yeah, I think so, you know, it, and, and it's interesting. There Again, there is, um, there is a continuum of how uh, customers are going down their journeys with big data. So typically what we're seeing is there are certainly some leading customers who are already implementing, getting value, and have implemented and gotten value for some time out of it. And these typically are companies that fit into vertical industries where they are also software development houses on their own, right? So you can think about some of the e-businesses out there where, frankly, some of this technology was originally invented uh, as kind of the leading edge. And, and so they've got some very well-defined uh, things. Then you've got kind of the, the mainstream fast followers who are just starting down the path and they're laying out these plans and there, and there will always be laggards and it's anywhere in between. But, you know, the one thing that is really important here is to look at the, uh, and this is where, frankly, we help our customers today, is not just being data warehouse consultants or technology providers, but really being trusted advisors and helping our customers look at the, the broader analytics landscape that's enabled by all of this technology. And how do you make sense of it? Which architecture do you choose for which application, for which data source, and why? based on service level requirements, based on quality of service for the data requirements, based on the application requirements themselves of how uh, what the service levels are for delivery of analytics and everywhere in between. And we're actually seeing a lot of our uh, customers start to adopt this kind of multifaceted approach to understanding the best place to put the data and or the best engine to run analytics on the data and how they combine those technologies together. And that, that's an interesting point, because actually, if you take a step back and look at the sort of data analytics or big data space at the moment, it's actually a bit of a mess. Um, you know, you, you've got an explosion of new startups, you've got established data players such as yourselves, and then you've got a whole raft of enterprise IT players coming along licensing Hadoop distributions or acquiring startups like, say, Green, Green Plum or Vertica, to think of two. When the noise dies down, when this settles down a bit, what's the landscape going to look like? Because actually, you know, a lot of the clients I talk to, they cannot work out what's going on. They, it's very difficult for them to decide what the right tool is for their particular job because there are just so many of them. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the biggest risk that uh, is facing the industry right now is, number one, well, there are two risks, really. One is I think that there is a large overhyping of some of the technology, which typically leads to disappointment later. 
Uh, and then number two, it is very confusing, kind of focused on uh, the new shiny object uh, of this tool or that tool. And so it can be very confusing. Confusing, And I think it's really, you know, having been through a number of cycles uh, in the industry myself, I do believe that over the next year, two years, three years, you'll see a consolidation and simplification of solutions. Uh, and uh, and that's actually really good because it'll make those solutions more consumable and less confusing for customers who are trying to to uh, do uh, implementations. And you know we're we're part of that as well. You know you mentioned some names, but we actually proactively a couple of years ago went and bought Astrodata uh, to add to our portfolio. And that's very different than some of the names you mentioned, which were basically redos of typical traditional database solutions. What we really saw in Astra was the ability to combine MapReduce and SQL together in the same engine. And we thought that that would be a really important technology in terms of being able to get MapReduce and MapReduce Analytics on the desktops of normal business users who already have SQL tools deployed. And so it's kind of like a democratization of the big data phenomenon with tools uh, that uh, you know, business analysts already in the organization can understand. And, and that was one of the plays uh, that we made, right? And, and it's been uh, working very well for, for us and for our customers. In fact, we've expanded it now that we also have a native graph engine so we can combine SQL Graph and MapReduce all together in the same workflow. And we're starting to really see some interesting, um, some interesting use cases and customer successes from the combination of those technologies. And, you know, in our mind, you know, the, the world of data, the world of analytics is not a one-size-fits-all thing. It really is a best-of-breed thing. And being able to combine different analytics that have different purposes together is really is, is extremely valuable and turning out to be very helpful for our customers. So as an example, being able to understand uh, the path or the pattern that a customer traverses on your website, but then lay 50 or 60 million paths together to determine uh, a heat map of paths, but then looking at that heat map and combining that back to your most valuable customers, which is a traditional SQL thing, so you can understand what you want to do about it for your most valuable customers versus for your least profitable customers. And being able to combine those kinds of ideas together is extremely valuable. So, you know, you, you start out with a, with mentioning, you know, all the all of the action and new companies and everything. I do believe there will be consolidation. Uh, I do believe, you know, like other cycles, you know, you, you kind of get all the, the startups and then they get consolidated. Some survive, some don't survive, uh, you know, some get acquired, et cetera. You see this consolidation and then it starts over again, right? And there's next wave of innovation and startups and then it consolidates. So that happens over and over again. And certainly we're part of that process through some of the M&A that we've done and, and certainly others in the marketplace are starting to see that happen as well. The one thing that I do think is really important though uh, that you also mentioned in, in, in uh, this question is there are a lot of uh, vendors out there that are building their own distributions and bringing to market for Hadoop. And I actually think that that for the industry is not a good thing, which is why we've partnered up uh, strategically with Hortonworks um, uh, because, you know, they, they drive the open source model and kind of the true Apache kernel for uh, HDFS and the tool stack. Uh, but we decided to partner up rather than create our own distribution because we're afraid that if there are too many distributions out there, it'll get very fragmented and, and it will actually implode. 
And we saw this happen with the Unix operating system 20 or 30 years ago. When Unix came out, it was the, the new great operating system that was the end-all, be-all, and it got fragmented. And, and by the time Linux came along and replaced Unix as the main operating system of the world, you know, there were a couple of hundred variants of Unix, and none of them were compatible with each other, and it became unsustainable. And so my fear is that uh, if there's too much fragmentation in the Hadoop market, that uh, it will become non-sustainable and something else will emerge. And so we're really trying to go all in and stay close to the, uh, the Apache kernel version and, and, and have that as part of our um, strategy. And so it will be interesting to see over the next couple of years what happens in the market, whether it will continue to fragment or whether there will be consolidation there. From my comments, you can probably expect that I hope that there's some consolidation so that uh, uh, it doesn't become fragmented. Yes, yes, indeed. And you mentioned the importance of integrating different tools into a single workflow. And clearly, you know, when you're actually delivering business value to senior managers or whoever it may be within the organization, that matters a lot. And one of the criticisms that's been leveled at a lot of the big data tools is they're actually quite narrowly focused. You know, they solve a particular, very specific problem incredibly well. Um, but they then don't expand out to address other issues at all. So what are some of the challenges for, for a company such as yours in taking these best-of-breed tools from across a range of areas and plugging them together to create something that actually can be used by a normal business? Well, it gets back to choosing the right architecture and integration, which is which is where we're focused, whether it be... Um, in the uh, Astra SNAP framework, which allows those things to be pieced together, whether it be in the uh, layer of software that we've been building called Unity, which does data synchronization, data movement, multi-system management, workload management across multiple platforms, and anywhere in between. I think it's all about the integration and choosing uh, a good architecture. So one of the things that we found is that I think we have a good advantage technologically in the marketplace because if you actually look at the logical architecture of the core Teradata software suite uh, and you squint a little bit and then you and you put that next to um, a MapReduce or a Hadoop and MapReduce architecture, they look exactly the same except that our file system is specialized for transactions and uh, our mappers and reducers are um, SQL engines, right? But the architecture is the same, meaning it's massively scalable, it's parallel, uh, and, and it's linearly scalable. So the good news is when we try to integrate these technologies, I think we have an advantage in terms of performance because we can go at the parallel, lowest level parallel thread and communicate from our system to um, the Hadoop system and the MapReduce algorithms. And that creates some unique capabilities like I said, direct pipelining between parallel threads. And, uh, and there's more to come in terms of development that we'll be doing. We'll even be able to uh, do memory pipelining between parallel threads. And, and so I think, again, that's how you do the integration, how you do integration in a way that's seamless and highly performant and adds value for customers. So in terms of those customers and the value they actually get from this stuff, clearly you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm around big data and data analytics, and they're all rushing out, implementing systems like MAD. But how many of them are actually beginning to see measurable, demonstrable value from their investment? 
Well, it's still emerging, right? And and I think that's a good point. And this is where and why we're seeing such good growth in the you know the big data segment of our business with deployments of unified data architecture, which is that roadmap of how these things should fit together, as well as some of the technologies that we license. And that is um, just buying a big cluster of commodity hardware with open source software and storing a bunch of data. Uh, doesn't yield ROI, right? It definitely yields I investment, right? But it but it doesn't guarantee the return. And so this is where uh, we're starting to see a lot of growth, uh, and we're seeing it kind of on in in two aspects. We're seeing growth number one in customers who were more mainstream or fast followers who haven't really uh, taken the leap yet, and and they're looking for a trusted partner like us to help them get there with defined value prop along the way. But then we're also seeing uh, some other customers and prospects who kind of went down the new shiny object path, and they're now struggling to get a lot of value out, and the tools that we bring to the table can help them yield uh, some value very quickly. And so we're seeing growth come from, from both of those aspects, you know, one, as the mainstream customers get in, but two, as some of the earlier adopters are looking for ways to actually get that R on the, on the I that, uh, that they placed. And what are what do these customers look like? I mean, clearly there are the ones that everyone thinks of, you know, the internet companies, the telcos, the banks. Are there any odd ones that are seeing r- real success and real value from a- applying some of these approaches? Um, they, there are. Um, and uh, typically... Uh, I would say the hallmark of, of the early adopters that are finding value tend to be business to consumer businesses in general, where uh, where the the product that they're selling is is the same, right? So um, you know that would be like it's not a, a patented pharmaceutical as an example because that's that's a very unique product, but. You know, if you're in the banking world and you're selling to consumers, right, and you offer a lineup of products that's that's um, that's very similar to what your competitor is offering, those kinds of businesses need to depend on analytics to get the edge, right? Because being able to differentiate your product stack, being able to price it right, being able to uh, attract and retain the attention of uh, of your customers is extremely important. And and one of the one of the proven ways to go do that is through analytics. And with mobile and digital and web interactions, the interactions have gone from, you know, in banking specifically, you know, customer walking into a bank and doing a transaction to, you know, uh, mobile devices, uh, mobile payment platforms, uh, and uh, a lot of different uh, digital uh, touch points where, where those customer interactions are happening. So being able to optimize that relationship is extremely important. So business to consumer uh, is huge. You know, telco is the same thing. Uh, and and starting to see, obviously, in EBIS and, and traditional retail. Uh, and, the, and those industries typically, I believe, in an analytic cycle typically will lead because, because of the fierce competition and because of the volume of data. But you're also starting to see... You know, other other industries get get in on this thing. You know, like some of the things I said in the in my earlier discussion, right? As smart grid smart grid technology changes the way utilities uh, um, have to operate, right? So instead of having 
one huge power plant that distributes power across the network in a single direction. Now with solar panels and smart grid devices, right, you, you could have 200,000 small generators and bi-directional flow of energy uh, across different peak times and how do you go optimize that network? So you start thinking about uh, the complexity of that uh, and gee, that, that leads to leveraging all of this big data to make better real-time decisions about how to manage that whole thing. And so it's, uh, it's starting to show up in, in businesses that may not have uh, in the past uh, really relied uh, as much on analytics and it's now just a necessity to compete. Which brings us very nicely to, I think, my, my closing question, um, as I'm conscious of the time. McKinsey and others have talked about the skills gap um, that they reckon is facing the whole sort of big data space. Do we have the people to run these things? Do we have the people to ask them questions sensibly? And do we have the managers who can understand what the system tells them once it's given them an answer? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, it's a rare breed, This, uh, uh, and I guess there's some articles out there, the sexiest job, uh, you know, being a data scientist. Um, you know, we tend to call them data artists around here only because we like to add in not only the statistics and the math and, and all of that, but some creativity uh, and an exploratory sense as well, because that's all kind of required to be successful in this new world. Uh, but yes, there is a supply and demand issue out there where, you know, right now that's a very, the good resources who are really great data scientists, data artists are very hard to find. They're very much in demand. They're very expensive, uh, which is a good thing for them, right? But that's a problem for the industry because we need to be able to get that talent out there. And so you're, you're seeing a couple of things happen. Number one, this is where we're uh, on our strategy of the democratization of MapReduce via SQL MapReduce and the SNAP framework and Astra is one of the reasons that we're able to do that is traditional knowledge workers can now have access to these algorithms without having to have the entire background in, in you know, uh, Java programming for thread-safe parallel execution, right? Um, and they can plug into visualization tools that they're accustomed to that they already have on their desktop. So there's that whole last mile delivery that, that we're focusing on with our architecture and technology that I think is important because then you can take these very scarce resources and direct them to the more difficult problem solving and not just the general application development. So that's kind of one piece. And then the second piece, obviously, as an industry and as a company, we're working with, through our Teradata University network and some of the professors actually helping to build out curriculum to train more of these people for the long term. And I think it's a combination of more supply coming online as the curriculum gets better defined uh, and better tools that can get to a broader audience of experience sets and make them successful where, where we have to continue to push to make sure that companies just don't get frustrated and sit on the sidelines. And what do you think is the balance there between you know, improved skills and improved tools. I mean, I think, you know, some people responded to the McKinsey numbers by suggesting that that was on the basis of the raw tools that we had at that time. And actually, as tools improve, you don't need as many people with the skills. Um, well, you know, there's always been that debate. I, I, I'll give you a corollary, right, is... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a SQL jock. I've done SQL forever uh, and Teradata SQL forever. That's where I started. I didn't actually start in the R&D organization. And so 
I really uh, can write very sophisticated SQL, and in fact, I could probably replace many MapReduce algorithms with SQL, but it's hard, right? But I'm kind of into it. And, you know, during the 80s and 90s, as more BI tools were becoming more prominent, and, and they are now very prominent, there was a scare that, gee, SQL, people who are really good at doing uh, very detailed SQL wouldn't be needed anymore because tools would replace us, right? And, and there's nothing further from the truth. Tools help deliver that last mile and get more people who were not experts access to the data, and that's extremely valuable. But someone who has a very sophisticated uh, ability to write very complex SQL is still a very valued uh, career out there in the marketplace, right? So it's actually a win-win, a rising tide. And I see that same thing happening in this space. The way I described it is better tools will mean more people, uh, more accelerated delivery, and that's a really good thing. The really key sophistication, uh, deep data scientists will continue to be a very valued career for a long time. Okay, good. And I guess just a, a closing thought, you know, from your perspective, sat inside Teradata Labs, clearly you've seen an industry shifting quite a bit. What do you think it's going to look like in 18 months? Um, in 18 months, I think that we'll start to really see the more mainstream fast followers get on board and implement their technologies, and that's that's the most exciting part for us because, you know, as engineers, number one, it, I think, validates the technology that we deliver, uh, but also means that that technology needs to be very robust and supportable. And so I'm actually looking uh, very much forward uh, to that. I think uh, at the same time all of that's going on, right, we will continue to ride in kind of the Moore's Law curve of hardware efficiency, uh, cost takeout uh, on the physical infrastructure. And again, there's such a demand out there that as the cost goes down, it just allows customers and businesses out there to store more uh, and still get a good ROI. So I think you'll see huge growth in volumes of data. You'll see huge growth in the adoption of some of these new technologies for analytic uh, decisions. And I also, as I mentioned before, think you'll see a little more consolidation with uh, some of the smaller and emerging technologies. Okay, good. Well, I'm afraid that's us out of time. But Scott, thank you very much for talking to me and for contributing your thoughts. Thank you.